as Philip has said, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the members here. Um, I don't have a grand title. Um, and I would just like to add my welcome to Philippa's, especially if you're visiting us this morning um, or if it's your first time. Um, and today is the second part of our series, Family Matters. And in this series, we're looking at what makes EBC what it is. And also, we're looking at the fact that the church family matters, that we as a church are a family, and what we do as that family matters. So, a nice little play on words there. So, last week, Simon looked at the subject of vision and touched on the subject of the fact that EBC wants to be a church that unchurched people want to be part of. And today, we're going to look at that in a little bit more depth. But first, before we talk about being a church that unchurched people love to be, to be part of, let's answer the question, what is church? And we'll just watch this. So, even though we've just seen in that clip that the church is the people, not the building or what we're doing now, um, those who are not part of the church, those who don't have experience of it, will still think of the church as a place, as something that happens. Um, sometimes you know, going into an unknown environment can be quite an intimidating thing. Um, we've all been in situations where we've had to go and do something new or go to a new place and felt fairly apprehensive about it. Um, as part of my job, I have to go off and do sales presentations sometimes. Um, and they compete to diverse organizations. Recently, uh, they've been as diverse as the Beano and the Wall Street Journal. Um, but this means I go off into unfamiliar places, go and see people I don't know. Um, and it can be quite a daunting experience. You never know what's going to happen. Um, a few years ago, I was flown up to Leeds to do a presentation. I'm still not quite sure why I had to fly, um, but that's beside the point. Um, and I had to go and show some software to a bunch of journalists um, who worked for a regional newspaper based in Leeds. Um, they had, or oh, I had been warned about them beforehand that they were a little bit sort of not going to be the easiest audience that I'd ever had. Um, but that didn't quite fully prepare me for what happened. Um, I won't go into all the details, but they were quite a hostile audience. Um, and I made it out alive, and I didn't trigger a strike, which I think a, is a, a win on both counts. Um, but it was a very, very intimidating experience. You know, I was faced with a room of probably 30, 40 people, um, coming up with loads of reasons why they didn't want the software that I was showing them, which had already been ordered by that point. Uh, so they were getting it regardless. Um, and they were coming up with every excuse possible. Um, my favorite one at the time was that a mouse with two buttons on it was a health and safety risk. <laughs> I still haven't quite worked that one out. Um, but I think they were afraid of losing their computers with the little Apple symbol on. Um, but it was very intimidating. And church can be like that for people who haven't experienced it before or haven't experienced it for a long time. They don't know what to expect. Hopefully, the way we do things here at EBC, 
we can provide an environment that people can be less anxious about coming into and be a church that unchurched people want to be a part of. But how do we do that? And importantly, what is the purpose of the church? Fortunately, Jesus himself left us with what he wanted the purpose of the church to be, his vision for it. And last week, Simon mentioned vision and mission. What Jesus said was recorded by Matthew, one of his early disciples, and who wrote an account of the time he spent with Jesus, which we can find in the New Testament part of the Bible. And we're just going to read a little bit of it. And the bit we're going to read was take is from the time after Jesus had been crucified and had risen from the dead. And it's from Matthew's account of Jesus' life in chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This passage has become to be known as the Great Commission, and this is the vision that God has for the church, what we want to achieve, what he wants us to achieve. This gives us the purpose as to what we are to do as a church. Go and make disciples of all nations. But how do we fulfill that? What is our mission? That is our vision, but what is our mission? How do we do, what do we do to achieve our vision? Well, a guy named Paul helps us with that. And Paul is a very unlikely person to be a disciple of Jesus. The first time we hear about Paul is in another book in the New Testament called Acts, which gives us the history of the early church. And the first reference to Paul, or Saul, as he is known at that point, um, he changes his name, is him standing off to the side approving of the Jewish leaders stoning one of the early church leaders to death. The next time we hear about Paul stroke Saul is him going to seek out early Christians to imprison them on the orders of the Jewish high priests. And it's on one of these journeys to go and put these people in prison that he has his miraculous conversion and becomes Paul in the process rather than Saul. And he then goes off and travels around the Mediterranean region of the Roman Empire and starts churches wherever he goes. He also wrote letters to some of those churches, and we still have those with us today. They form part of our New Testament. And one of the letters that he wrote was to a church in a town called Corinth. And this was a major town in southern Greece. And we call this letter now the book of 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter he wrote to them of the two we still have. And I'm going to read a section from chapter 9 and verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. 
to the Jews, I have become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I have become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. And the law Paul's talking about at this point is what we would call now the Old Testament Jewish law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. So, what is Paul trying to do? Verse 19 spells it out for us. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To win as many as possible. Paul is trying to win as many as possible for Jesus. That is his purpose, his mission. But everyone is different. Paul spent a chunk of his life traveling around the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was a very diverse place. It isn't wasn't just populated by sort of the stereotypical toga-wearing Roman that we would think of today. There was a broad range of people from all over the empire. That the people moved around. So there would have been a huge ethnic mix, and they would have been both free people of all classes and slaves. He went out, to in, out of his way to engage with lots of different communities. Some of the communities he would have fitted in naturally with, and some he wouldn't have done. Paul himself was a Jew, so he would have naturally fitted in with the Jewish communities that he came across as he traveled around. Though Paul no longer felt that he was bound by Jewish law, he wouldn't have done anything that would have alienated himself from that community. If he had have done, then he wouldn't have been able to communicate the gospel to them effectively. It was only what he said, proclaiming that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the, the person that the Jewish community had been waiting for, that turned people against him within that community. And it caused him to have to flee a few towns and he ended up being imprisoned and punished a few times. But it's not just the Jewish community that Paul tries to fit in with. He has a commitment to all the other communities that he comes across on his journeys. He meets the people where they are. If they aren't from a Jewish background, then he starts where they are. He pulls things out of their culture and uses them to direct people to God. There was one occasion when Paul was in Athens and he spots an altar engraved with the words to an unknown God. And he uses that as a starting point to direct the local Athenians towards God and the good news of Jesus. And sometimes the church can be, seem a bit afraid of engaging with 
popular culture and using it to spread you know, the good news of Jesus. But Paul wasn't. He used what was around him as a starting point to help people engage with what he was trying to communicate. It's also worth noting that Paul says that he became like people. If we look again at verse 21, to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. I just want you to notice what he says in the middle of the verse. He acknowledges that he is still subject to God's law. So when we come alongside people, we should be careful that we don't do anything that would cause us to damage our relationship with God. And Paul goes on in verse 22. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. To Paul, the outcome is the important thing, not the method. By whatever means, save some. Paul's overriding concern is to share the blessings of the gospel with people, with as many people as possible. But he sees the need to communicate as effectively as possible to those different groups, so he approaches them in different ways. So, what does that mean for us here at EBC? <coughs> Excuse me. Whether you're here as a member, a regular attender, or you're here for the first time. Well, it means that we want to be a church that is there for everyone in our community, no matter what their starting point in life may be. We see from Paul and what he did, that anyone can become part of God's church. He went from the chief Christian hater to being one of the biggest church planters in the first century and had one of the biggest influences on the church of any of the early church leaders. He got to effectively write a big chunk of the New Testament for us. That's not a bad turnaround for somebody who was so anti-church initially. So God can and will use anyone and welcome anyone into his church. We believe God can do this for anyone. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this is why you're welcome here, whatever baggage you might have or feel that you might have. We hope that what we do here makes you feel welcome and puts you at ease about coming to church. We want you to meet you where you are. We don't want to do things when we meet together that might be a barrier to anybody who comes along. That's why we do some of the things that we do here. That's why we introduce ourselves. We don't expect you to know who we are. That's why we don't care if you don't stand up and join in when we stand up and sing. If you're not used to it, it can be a very strange concept. And I've been part of churches for nearly 40 years, and even occasionally I still think as we're standing there, this is a little bit strange. Um, that's why we also give you sometimes permission to ignore parts of what we're saying. That's why we make what we say from the front as accessible as possible. We don't assume you know what we're talking about. <coughs> 
And that's why we explain, we spend time explaining where things come from in the Bible. We don't care how much or how little you know about the Christian faith. We don't care if you can't tell a Baptist from a Buddhist. <laughs> um, we are just pleased to see you. You see, what we want for you is to have a good relationship with God and for you to become part of his church here on earth. And the church should be one of the most radical organisations around. We aren't, nor should we be, in it for our own benefits. Certainly not in this lifetime. Our benefits as members of the church is in the eternal, not in this life. Basically, that means that we believe that our benefit, our greatest benefit, will be after we die and not before. And it can all be summed up in this great quote that I like from the late Archbishop William Temple. And he said this, the church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of its for the benefit of non-members. And hopefully you'll find this to be the case with EBC. If you do call yourself a Christian, however, then this bit is for you. And if you don't, feel free to listen in. Because it might give you an insight of what we want to be about as a church. As we saw in the clip at the beginning of this talk, church is not the building. It isn't what we're doing right now. Church is the people and how they relate to other people. I did some maths the other day, and I worked out that if we're here for about an hour and 40 minutes on a Sunday doing church, then we are here for 1% of the week. 1%. So, what about the other 99% of the week when we're not at church? Paul didn't spend just an hour a week doing church to spread the good news of Jesus and persuade people to follow him. No, he spent his whole life after his conversion doing it. If we are truly to be a church that wants to be relevant to as many people as possible, then we need to live as part of the church for the other 99% of the time as well. It is that 99% of the time that makes a difference. Having a great service here on a Sunday morning is brilliant, especially if we've invited a non-church person to come along, and they have. But it isn't going to change the world. Though we should try and make every Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Thursday afternoons and messy church and everything else we do as good as we can, as this reflects on our faith, it's the 99% of the time that really matters. It's in this time that if we are living an honest Christian life, that people will start to wonder what's different about us and why. We shouldn't be ashamed to talk about the things we do here at EBC as a church, that we're trying to seek to make a difference in our community, both locally and in the wider world. <coughs> 
in the clip we saw earlier, we saw this graphic. And I just want to show it to you again, because to me it shows you how circular our Christian life should be, how everything depends on what went before it. And if we haven't lived out our Christian life and passed it on, then we don't need to plug in and charge up on a Sunday and in our life groups. And if we haven't plugged in and charged up, then how can we live out our Christian life and pass it on? It's a completely circular way of living. It makes everything we do equally important. It's a challenging thing. And there will always be times that we just want to switch off and put our Christian life in a box, but we can't. We are living ambassadors for the church 24-7. And it's a challenge for all of us, me included. This is important because people have a very blinkered and stereotyped view of what the church is. They have limited experience and think of it as, at the worst case, as a bunch of hypocrites who exist for our own benefit, who like nothing else but to point out the faults in other people without dealing with their own. But we need to be able to show people the real church, the church that is about loving people, caring for them, whatever they might stage they might be in life, whatever baggage they might, they might have. It is about living out our lives to reach as many as possible. To paraphrase Paul, we need to be all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some to win as many as possible. But this shouldn't be the, the expense of telling them the truth, which is they have messed up. All of us have. In God's eyes, we, we're not perfect, and we have to make our relationship with him right again. And it's about telling that truth and balancing it with the grace, the good news that God has given us through Jesus. If we don't do that, get that balance right, then we can tell people they need Jesus, but they won't know why. And if we're all about telling them what they're, they're, they're done wrong, then they'll, they'll think that, I don't want to be part of that. It's all too negative. If we get that balance right, it's about starting where people are so that when they do start interacting with us as a church, they feel comfortable that they aren't being judged or looked down on. At the end of the day, Jesus gave us a command to go and make disciples of all nations. Not go and make disciples of people that are like you and have nice, neat lives. Jesus himself wasn't afraid to go and engage with those that were outcasts in society. He associated with the tax collectors and the sinners. I always like the fact they mention those two separately because the tax collectors were considered worse than the sinners, so they didn't want to offend the sinners. This is what made the religious elite dislike Jesus so much. He went out, he met with the ordinary people wherever they were. So we need to go out and live our lives so that they reflect the great truth of what we believe and invite people. There isn't any point of us being a welcoming church if no one out there knows we exist. <laughs>